just a heads up, we're going to go ahead and have a shortened service here this evening, just a shortened uh, devotion type sermonette, and then we'll go ahead and have our invitation, invitation hymn, and then we'll move into a time of, of business meeting. So wanted to give you a heads up when we start to close, you know, you don't think we forgot the business meeting part of this. Uh, we will get to that eventually, but first, uh, if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4 this evening. That will be in the New Testament. That is one of Paul's letters, known as a prison letter, written by the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verse 4 this evening. Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, God. We thank you for this opportunity, Father. We can gather together and study your word, Father, as a church, as, as your children because of Christ and because of what Christ has done for us. And Father, we just pray as we briefly look at this passage, Father, that, that you would reveal to us what your word is teaching us, God, how it is always relative to our lives, Father, and how we are to apply these very practical truths that we see Paul writing to us. Father, we thank you for them. We thank you for your word. And Father, most of all, we thank you for Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Let me ask you, church, what is something as an individual you think your life is marked by? Let me give you an example. For me, one thing that my life always seems to be marked by is that I am an identical twin. It's something that if you know me and Devin, typically the conversation goes around to that. And whether we like it or not, that's just the reality of it. For instance, when I walked in here this evening, Tanner looked at me and said, you look like your brother. And I said, which one? <laughs> I said, well, Devin. And obviously he was joking. I said, well, I always look like him. Right? There are certain things, and that's kind of a goofy one, but there are certain things we tend to be marked by, whether it's character traits, family traits, generational traits, whatever it might be. Well, here tonight, we see in the book of Philippians chapter 4 some things that Paul says the Christian people should be marked by, things that should be seen in the lives of believers, and specifically in the life of church. And we see that here in verse 4 as Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Now remember, the Philippians here, the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians, is one that often sends out to us really because of Paul's circumstances that he is so open about. Uh, Paul right now is in prison. He's very open. He's very clear about that. If you've never looked at the book of Philippians on your own, I encourage you, of course, to do so because that's very, very clear as you're reading through the book of Philippians. Now, that doesn't mean this is the only letter that Paul wrote when he was in prison. We understand he wrote a lot of his letters while he was in prison. But this is one that he is very open and transparent about in the situation that he is going through. Paul is in prison, yet he continues to care for and equip the churches that he has ministered to over the years. And the church here at Philippi, that is no exception. And here in chapter 4, there's only four chapters in this letter. Here in chapter 4, we see Paul beginning to wrap this letter up as he moves into final instructions for this body of believers. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see something wrapping up, 
a story, a book, I sometimes tend to think, well, it's getting done with, it's over with, I've already gotten through the important stuff. Well, of course, with God's Word, that is a mistake. We shouldn't do that. As it's been said before, as we study these few words from Paul tonight in this conclusion, it's important to remember that final instruction often carries first importance. And that's exactly what we see here from Paul, starting in verse 4. And firstly, the command, this practical command that he gives to this people that he is writing to, is to remember to rejoice. Look there in verse 4 again with me. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, or rejoice always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now this is a common theme that we see in Paul's letters. That we are a people who are to be rejoicing even in the midst of suffering. Paul, it's very clear in this letter, he is in prison, he is suffering due to those circumstances, yet there's a tone of joy and rejoicing in this letter. He is thankful for the opportunity that has been afforded to him to spread the gospel even though he has been confined to a prison cell. And Paul says to those that he is writing to that we ought to remember to rejoice. Paul feels so strongly about this, he even repeats himself in the exact same verse. Look there again with me. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Repetition in God's Word is a means of emphasis. Paul felt that this was something of great importance for the children of God. They are to be a people marked by rejoicing. That word rejoice in the original language, it's one that carries the idea of gladness or great rejoicing and gladness. It's the word that's used to describe Zacchaeus' reception of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. He was rejoicing. He was glad. If you know much about that event, that occurrence, you remember Zacchaeus' overwhelming joy when he sees Christ reach out to him. It's a salvation joy, isn't it, church? It's a joy that came because of his receiving of Christ and believing in Christ for salvation. This word is also used by John the Baptist as he discusses his role in the coming Christ. He he was rejoicing. And Paul says here that the Christian people he is writing to, and all Christian people, all Christian churches, are to be a people who are marked by joy and rejoicing. It should be seen or perceived by the outside world. Now understand where this rejoicing comes from. He says it very clearly there in verse 4. Look there again with me. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. It's a rejoicing that is fueled by our understanding of who God is. Our rejoicing is to be in the Lord or because of the Lord. Thankfully, church, our rejoicing is not tied to our circumstances. Thank God for that. Because sometimes our circumstances aren't very fun. Sometimes they're downright difficult. So to, remain, to maintain a rejoicing in difficulty, it's not founded on circumstances, good or bad, but in who our God is and what He has done for us. And this is a rejoicing that should mark or define us as a people. We are a people who are to be rejoicing, but He goes on. We, not ju- we don't just see a command to be a rejoicing people, but we also see a command to be a gentle People. Look there in verse 5 with me. He says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men the Lord is near. Gentle spirit or gentleness, your version might say that you're using. I'm using NASB tonight. It refers to showing consideration for one another. 
We are not only a people who are marked by rejoicing, but also a people who ought to be marked by a gentleness that is seen by those around us. And church, all throughout church history, the last 2,000 years or so, this is what made the Christian people such a peculiar people in early Christianity. Because they were gentle. They were marked by a gentleness as they spread the gospel to all people. They were gentle in their actions and gentle in their reactions as they typically suffered for the gospel. They were gentle as they seen Christ being gentle as well. As one martyr put it, as they were suffering persecution, they said to bring persecution on a Christian is like stepping on a rose. If you crush it, it will nonetheless bless you with its fragrance. That is how the Christian ought to be concerning gentleness. It ought to be the fragrance of the Christian response. Because by displaying gentleness toward all people, believers and unbelievers alike, Christians reveal the gospel's power to transform and reconcile. Church, in our society today, more so than ever, I think there is opportunity all around us to respond with gentleness. The gentleness of the gospel. There's a lot of situations out there, social media or even just out in your everyday life, where people are disagreeing with the word of God disagreeing with the gospel message. And one thing that our response should be marked by is gentleness. It is not an avoiding of the truth. It's not an avoiding of telling the truth and telling the gospel. But it is what should define the way that we do those things. We should do these things in gentleness. And he goes on to tell us that our motivation for this striving of gentleness, it is seen in that final sentence of that verse. Look there in verse 5 again with me again. Very last sentence. Paul says very plainly, the Lord is near. Christ's imminent return is the motivation for his people's holy living. The fact that we know that Christ is coming back is not only what should motivate our gentleness in this Christian life, but all holy living entirely. Christ is returning. Amen, church? And because of that, we ought to be ready. We ought to be ready, and we are ready by living like the church. As Brother Bentley just prayed, it is something that we ought to be marked by. Remember, church, he will come like a thief in the night. We don't know when he's coming, but we do know that he is. And we ought to be ready for it by living our lives in a holy manner. We see a command to be a rejoicing people. We see a command to be a gentle people. And then thirdly, we see a command to not be anxious. Look there in verse 6 with me. He says, be anxious for nothing, but... In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. As we have seen, we are to be a people firstly marked by rejoicing, and secondly by gentleness. But now Paul goes in and tells us what we ought to not be marked by. He says we should not be a people who are marked by anxiety. We should not be anxious. Church, I'm sure that you've seen, but anxiety in our society has been trending upwards for decades especially this year. I'm sure it will be unprecedented, the the numbers of those who are suffering from anxiety. To to put a number to it, it is estimated that 40 million Americans deal with anxiety-type disorders every single year. That's about 18% of our population dealing with it to the point of a disorder, something that is crippling. However, understand, don't let that statistic fool you into thinking that we don't all deal with anxiety, because certainly we do. We deal with worry. We deal with anxiety and anxious thoughts. It certainly is one of the more common and general struggles of the church today, I believe. We are such an anxious people, aren't we? 
And, and sadly, this is something that has infiltrated the church, and, and for the most part, we've been okay with it. We are not to be an anxious people. For the Christian, this is not how we ought to live our lives. It's not to be marked by anxiety. But Paul here says that our lives are instead to be marked by prayer. Isn't that interesting? Paul here, instead of saying that we are to be an anxious people, says that we are to be a praying people. The biblical remedy for anxiety is not to just simply get over it. Scripture, it does not discount our anxieties. It doesn't take away from the fact that we will have anxieties. It doesn't discount those things, but instead it points us to the remedy of prayer and communion with God in prayer. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, a very, very short verse, but a very powerful one. It says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Praise God for that. We can cast our anxieties, our cares, our struggles, our worries on Him because very simply, He cares for us. We are not to be marked by anxiety, but instead be marked by prayer. And fourthly, we see the result of prayer. Look there in verse 7 with me. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The result of time spent in prayer is a supernatural peace that can only come from God. It is the peace that, as the Scripture puts it, surpasses understanding, surpasses comprehension. It will be a testimony to the outside world. We are not anxious because our God is for us and because we have taken our anxieties to Him in prayer. In a world of nothing but anxiety, it seems, anxiety over difficulties, anxiety over, anxiety over scenarios and situations, the Christian people are to be different from that. We are to be a people who are praying. In church, to conclude tonight, understand Paul's exhortation for this church is to be marked by certain qualities. Firstly, remember that we are to be marked by rejoicing. Rejoicing in the Lord and what He has done for us. Secondly, to be marked by gentleness in our actions, in our reactions, in our gospel presentation. And thirdly, that we are to be marked by prayer. In church, the result of this is that we will become a people who are light displayed in darkness. In church, the, the sad truth about our society and our nation is it seems to be growing darker and darker. But... From another perspective, understand that the darker the night, the brighter the light. The gospel will shine. It's just a matter of whether or not we are going to shine with the gospel in our lives. As a church, display these things. As the outside world despairs, they will see our marks of joy, gentleness, and peace that comes only through a relationship with God through Christ and what Christ has done for us. Let us strive for these things as individuals but also as the church. As we seek to glorify God in this church and in every church that knows Christ. Let's pray tonight, church. Father, we thank you for tonight, God. We thank you for this word, Father, that so clearly is so practical to how we ought to live our lives and what we should be marked by. Father, I pray that we are a church who are marked by rejoicing, God, being marked, um, Father, by prayer, God, that we are to be a praying people. Father, we thank you for everything that you've done for us, everything that you continue to do for us. And Father, we thank you most of all for Christ and what Christ has done for us on the cross. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with us.